When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes. Yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. It's questions from the audience. The podcast listen to when you're making a cross-country drive or when you're working out or when you're just settling in and looking to let your mind wander. It's questions from the audience. Tim McKernan and Gangster Pete with you in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsor here. If you're buying a home, if you're refinancing, make sure you're doing business with our guy, Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com. Home values high, interest rates low. That's the time to do it. The HomeLoanExpert.com. And if you want to be pre-approved and be armed with that pre-approval as you go to market, as the temperatures hit spring-like and people put houses on the market to make sure they beat the rush to get into new school districts, do it now. Go to thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. The studio sponsor here on the Tim McKernan Show. Questions from the audience. Gangster Pete, you're alongside. Iggy made a uh, one-week cameo last week. Didn't really feel like he wanted to be here, but he performed. He yeah, performed. he's great. He performed. Um, but you, you are here whether you like it or not. And so uh, so you will be called upon for some what some wonderful questions, including this one, which is from your buddy Deebs. Shout out, Deebs. Uh, I'm a big Deebs guy. Uh, and what he he submits these questions in your friends group chat to see if they think that th- that'll get read each week. Is that what he does? Yeah, I mean he he likes he he's he's had a few that haven't gotten read. Right so now he likes to check their readability. So this was and there, I, I noticed usually they're submitted kind of late night. This one was sent at four in the afternoon. Yeah, a few vodka drinks deep, he'll uh, fire it off. <laughs> All right, here it is. Sup, Tim. If you found yourself stranded on a tropical deserted island, castaway style, which of the following three objects would you most want to have with you? <laughs> number one, Swiss Army knife. Number two, fishing pole. Number three, sex robot. A really sophisticated one, though. Uh, all she can do is jump on your pole or your face or whatever. Like you can't use her super strength to break open coconuts or build a shelter, or chop down trees or anything. She can only bang or go into sleep mode. Oh, and she can't talk either. I mean, she can moan and stuff, but she can only speak in binary, like one oh one one oh oh one oh one oh oh one oh oh one oh one oh. I appreciate a well thought out question. Yeah. So not great at conversation or keeping you mentally stimulated. Thanks. That comes from Deebs, a gangster Pete. I mean, you've already been briefed because you saw this in the in the uh, group chat. But uh, what is your answer? So, so I would I would take the sex robot if it's like an ex machina style. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I left I left that part out. That I would definitely think. The and then he doesn't say anything about not being able to like take parts of it apart to use, like in a utilitarian manner, and then you can put it back together. Wow, yeah, that was a miss on Deeb's part. So I'm I'm going I'm going sex robot. Yeah, I mean, I, sex robot. I, I the Swiss Army knife practically seems like the right play. However, 
but I'll go sex robot. Just a bad beat, though, across the, across the board. And once again, so provocative. That's Deebs. Uh, oh, hey, we're, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bail on this. I just got a text from Caden, and she's available to do the podcast right now. Boom, let's so do I, it. So we might as well do it. And we're back. So I don't know exactly what the edit point is, Gangster Pete. Uh, I think we both picked sex robots yeah, for our great. desert island, and Wonderful. now we're on to whatever we want to move on to. Right. Um, the... Uh, the uh, situation was I'm answering QFTA and in uh, in friend of the of the program, uh, Caden Cross texted me. We had talked about her being on the uh, on the pod. I saw that she was tweeting, and I, I'm in my mind still she sleeps in until ten. But I guess she is uh, the mother of a uh, of a six year old at this point. Um, so that those days are over. And uh, and I uh, and she said, Hey, if you want to do the podcast, I'll uh, now's good. And I'm like, Fuck it, let's do it now. So we broke away from QFTA, fresh off of Deebs, and now we have a uh, 50-55 minute conversation with uh, Caden Cross. Gangster Pete, I know you were tending to some bookkeeping while I was talking with uh, with Caden, but for deep teasing for the listeners, uh, as this sode will, will come out, uh, anything of that uh, stand out to you? Yeah, she is uh, super well-spoken, not exactly what you'd expect from the industry, <laughs> and she's obviously very sharp. Yeah. So, I mean, I really enjoyed listening. I was... Multitasking. That's kind of what I was kind of what I was thinking because it's kind of like like the cat loves to say, "Oh, they're smart and clean," and you know, it's like a running joke, which is like poking fun at me for saying, "Well, you know, they're not all." Because it's just kind of like this thing where we shit on anybody who's in, in porn, which is whatever. It's fine. I, it's kind of like a running joke on the show, but you know, I've known her for I guess eleven years, and she is an intelligent woman. And I think, but I, but I see, I know it because I've known her for that long, but I also understand that when you hear like some of our other friends who have dropped by the radio program who are uh, in the industry, uh, it doesn't necessarily sound the same. The conversation's a little different. Hey, you can tell immediately that she's sharp. Yeah. Has her shit together. And that's why, and so we talk about it, I guess, uh, as a deep tease. Um, I mean, for real, I guess, trying to think when it would have been. It might have been like during the man and woman thing where, and I probably still have the email, be a weird email to look at, but for real, um, I was going to, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how far along it was, but it, I mean, at the very least I had been on the show a couple of times, the Artie Lang show, and they were interested in me becoming regular and moving there. And, and, and I made the pitch to them for her to be part of the show. And she lived in L.A., and that meant she would have been moving. And um, and it was a real thing. It was, it was like a like we got to, you know, we would get on the phone and like, okay, what do you think? And then how much do you need to make? Okay, this, that, this. Okay, what's the, you know, the L.A. to New York dollar? You know, all these things. And um, and then something happened. Something happened for me and something happened for her. So there's your deep tease on that. And I think I think people, so I was debating. So this question from the audience is like my confessional. Um, honestly... I was like, okay, we've had all of this. Like, we, it's gotten to the point now with this podcast. I just call it a show. So I like to think it's a little more than like the people who just go, yeah, I have a podcast. And it's like, you know, there's three people listening. Um, but maybe I shouldn't think of it that way and whatever. But my, my reason for, for distinguishing is because we've, we've started to get people to come on it because they look at who's been on it and they go, oh, shit, look at this guest list. This is, the, you know, this is, this is, 
whatever the right word would be legitimate or it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing to be invited to, to come in. And some of those people are in politics, government running for office and use this as a way to reach a, a segment of the audience in St. Louis that isn't necessarily easy to reach. Like where are young people listening to content that is local in St. Louis? There aren't a whole lot of options. And so in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I mean, I, I make no secret of who I am and what I like. And I realize plenty of people go, wow, he's a creep or I disagree with that, but I, you know, still like the show, whatever, whatever it is, but I don't hide the fact what I enjoy uh, in recognizing that I'm in my own, not my own world, but I'm in the minority. So for the podcast, from a guest standpoint, I've always kind of just kept it, you know, I haven't gone like, okay, let's get, take your pick of whatever, you know, let's get, I don't know, let's get. I don't know, Pete. I don't know. I'm trying not to like it. <laughs> let's get any random adult film star on and do one of those because that's not really what I mean. I, don't get me wrong; I find that stuff amusing, but that's not what this is. But with her, just any random star is more like a radio show thing. That's what that this is. That. This is someone that has actually has something to say that has insight into the business. That's smart. There's and a lot to. I mean, business. It, it, it's a. It's, it's actually a business. It really yeah, was. It was, it was probably more business. And so I'm sure that there are some people like, oh, sweet, Tim's talking to Caden Cross and we're going to hear about anal, you know, and it's going to be like, you know, here's the revenue pie in 2009 versus the revenue pie in 2019. Well, I thought it was interesting, too, because she's all self-taught, you know, right. like she she learned from growing up in the industry mistakes and how to do it right. I mean, it's it was really interesting. I, I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah, I I, I, I mean, I knew I knew just because I we've, you know, done a bunch of you know, I guess radio interviews and whatever, uh, over the years that, uh, I knew it'd be good. Like I just, I texted her to thank her and I'm like, look at that. I mean, we did, you gave me a minute notice and we just rattled off and we could have gone on forever, but I just didn't know what she had to do today. So I just like, okay, we've gone 50 minutes. That's enough. Um, but it was good. There's other things I'd like to ask about, but I mean, like there was nothing sexual about it, but I know that I just, I just know the game. Like I was having a, that if you have a porn star and it's like, oh, well, see, there he goes again. Like there's, there's, I don't know how I can say this without saying too much, but in corporate radio land in St. Louis, you know, there are people who are aware of what we have um, and, uh, you know, keep an eye on it, so to speak. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I was talking with somebody and they go, you know, but you got to think about it. It's like, you know, would you be able to have all of your porn stars on? And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't know when the last time, like we've done like a, and I guess we did have Keisha Gray on. Um, but I kind of knew that that wasn't like, so tell me about when you hooked up with, you know, take, I'm like, this is a woman who came out of depression. You know, it was a different kind of, of interview. Now we jokingly said this is an exclusive because we know nobody else would do it, but you know, it's a different kind of interview. And it was kind of, for those who listened to it, it was dark, man. There were points of that interview that were dark. Um, but I'm not, I'm not like, and I think people who listen know, but I also, I also know what the perception of me is. Um, and that is the, the perception is, yeah, he just likes to have porn stars on. And then, you know, like it can become sex talk. And the reality is it's not really it. I'm comfortable talking about sex, but that's not what's going on in, in in that interview or really for certain in this interview. Because with this, when you know somebody, as long as I've known her and we communicate like we do and we both know the other spouse, you know, it's just, it's like, she's like a buddy. 
you know, or even, you know, like a sister. So I know that sounds, that might sound strange, but it's kind of like you might've heard Jay Randolph Jr. or Iggy say that like how they, like when, when Lisa Ann would pop up during one of their standard searches, it's like they got to scroll past her now because they know her and it's a weird deal, but it's the same thing. I'm like, oh, there's my buddy, you know, who I've known since 2009 and have talked about working together and I've met her daughter and, you know, met her, you know, gentleman lover and she's, she knows Anna Marie. And so I don't know. I, I also, I also know talking about this, people are just like, yeah, I don't fucking understand. And I get that. But the reason I bring all this up in questions from the audience, my confessional is because I was like, I know it'll be a good interview, but I don't want to reduce the probability of getting certain guests on because they'll go, Oh, that's the show that had the porn star on. But I think, I think, I think, Gangster Pete, I think we, and by we, I don't mean me and you or this show or the radio show. I'm talking about we, the royal we, as a as a society, and it's something that Caden and I talked about in the interview, are kind of past that. Don't get me wrong, there's some people who are still there, but I think it's kind of it's kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, who cares? So and then when the and then on top of it, if you heard the interview, you'd be like, oh, they didn't talk about like, yeah, who's the biggest guy you've ever been with? Yeah, what, <laughs> what, what position do you like most? Yeah, I like lesbianism. Tell me about your hottest. You know, it's just none of that. And I'm sorry for those of you who want that. Don't get me wrong, I get it, but that's not what the interview is. So anyway, here's the thought process on it, Gangster Pete, pontificate, please. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think. Uh, if anyone that would listen to it would realize that it was like two pals, that's what made it intriguing to me is obvious that you guys are buddies, which made it even better. And then also it was a business podcast basically. So, and I don't think most people that would, would look at the guest list would just pick out one name and be like, Oh, that one name's a problem. Yeah. I that's just how I, I feel know. about I, it. I, 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 I could I, be I like wrong. To think. I'm just, I'm just very, I'm just, it's a weird deal. I'm conscious of it. I, I, I don't want to say it's so it's, it's, there's two thoughts going. I really don't care. And by, I really don't care. It's not like I'm like, I worry about, cause for those people, my ship has already sailed. And in their mind, I'm the godless pervert anyway. And there's nothing that I will ever do that will change that. And in a way they're, they're kind of right. I would describe myself as somebody who has a different viewpoint on sex. And, uh, I would describe myself as agnostic, uh, but, but either way, I, I suppose you kind of get, get into semantics on it, but, I, I, I'm not going to win those people back. And honestly, I don't really want them anyway. It's not for you. But then for people who do come on this podcast, who do have careers or are trying to advance their careers, which is a weird thing to think that this thing that just was kind of, you know, just like, oh, I want to do interviews. I like it. And then it's become a place where people actually, we get, <laughs> we get people contacting us to come on, which is, I mean, it's a hell of a compliment. It's flattering as hell. I just don't want to lose that. So that, so it's like, I care, but I don't want to lose that. I don't think we will. Now, I think if it becomes a regular, like, each week, like next week, joining us is Danny Mountain, and he's going to talk about how he, you know, I mean, you know, that's a different thing. So anyway, I'm like, yeah, I want to have her on. Like, because I know it'll be, I, I would imagine people will enjoy the interview, but it's a, it's, I'm coloring outside the lines with regard to guests for the first time, even though this is a woman who is a businesswoman and is a, a director, but people go, oh, the porn thing. But I think... I think that it's more acceptable now. The social stigma is less now than it was even five years ago. And we did actually spend some time on that sex shaming, sex worker shaming. It's kind of like, all right, I get it. It's not for me. I get like how the cat and Doug have to, you know, the cat has to order wings and, and Doug, you know, starts debating with himself, you know, the best uh, quarterback for a two minute drive. 
Um, while the conversation, I understand the reasoning for it, called plausible deniability. And also they have jobs where, you know, it's their primary source of income and those that they got to be careful there. I get it. If I were in their spot, I would be in the same situation. I'm not. So that's why I can call her outside the lines a little more. But I'm very sympathetic to that. I don't know if that's the right word, sympathetic. Empathetic? Empathetic. Thank you. Sympathetic makes it sound like I feel terribly for them. <laughs> I think they probably feel terribly for me. That you I'm, understand. Yeah, I understand. So that's why I'm not like, hey, how come you're not participating in my Keisha Gray interview? This is too important. So anyway, that's what happened. And thank God, by the way, that we decided to lead with a Deeb's question and I wasn't in the middle of a deep <laughs> thought and it was more about what do I want, a Swiss army knife or a sex robot? He or, doesn't mean that, Deeb's. Yeah. <laughs> now these questions are starting to come in on the fan page. Otherwise, I had nothing but uh, emails and a lot of emails too. And there were, some, there were some good ones in there, but I will tend to these to make sure that I do. Uh, I have the picture I posted on the fan page. I honestly, for as much as I know about the industry, Gangster Pete, do you know who I just choose random ones to no get people's clear. attention? I have no idea who that is. I kind of am wondering about a variety of elements on the situation there, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because I realize about 90% of you have no idea what image I'm talking about. I know the elements you're talking about. Yes, I'm wondering. Uh, Iggy might know. Uh, Ryan asks on the fan page, when does your quest for U.S. Open qualifying start? Um, this is why, and I know he, I, I know Ryan, I've played golf with Ryan. Uh, Ryan's a hell of a golfer. For my money, a bomber. He might not think he's a bomber, but for my money, absolute bomber. Um, and a hell of a player. And uh, obviously it's a joking question, but I mean, everything always kind of goes back to the, uh, the shoulder thing, which is why on the radio show, when I said, I got to leave early, got a personal thing to tend to. And then it, cause I didn't want it to become radio fodder. It was intentional. And now it's just become like a running joke. You even sent over a link yesterday with George Kittle and his torn labrum. Although, even if I didn't have a torn labrum, that's pretty interesting that he's been playing for two years with a torn I labrum. I had that on the top, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to tilt him too much, <laughs> yeah. so I moved it down so, the list. But I got a cortisone, I got a second cortisone shot on uh, Friday, and I'm recording this on, what is it? I really don't. It's Wednesday, right? It yes, is sir. the 29th, okay. And, uh, and it's interesting to get all of this different feedback, but... Um, you know, it's not a case where if I don't get surgery, it's going to continue to get worse. I mean, the labrum's torn. It doesn't like, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. And it's also not like something that's going to magically all of a sudden heal. So I'm still trying in the back of my mind to somehow get across the goal line and get my family to spring training. I really want that. And also it's kind of a pride thing to have the show at spring training, but I realize it might be too late in the game for that to happen. But at the very least I could be down there and like record interviews and then throw to them from my home where I do the show, that might be a way to do it. Even if we can't do the show from the picnic table, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a way to do it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, like we just said, it's the 29th. It's late in the game for a week of broadcasting that would start within uh, 12 days. But, um, that's in the back of my mind. I say this and the cortisone shot worked, but I've been down this road with a cortisone shot on this thing before I had an injection into the bursa sac in, uh, in November and everything was cool. And then all of a sudden I had like one false move in the first week of January and it got, it was worse than it was, which that's what led to the MRI. Otherwise nobody really thought I had a tear. Who knows? Maybe that's when I teared it. I was playing catch with my son. So I don't know. Odds are it'll feel fine for a little while and then it'll get rough. I went and hit golf balls just to see how it would go. It was like 40 degrees. And I'm like, oh, this is warm enough. And I could hit them. I was hitting them the right distance that I had before this all happened. And, um, I don't know. So anyway, I mean, I think, I think at this point I am down to 33% to qualify for the U S open. And I know some people are going to be surprised to hear that pessimism, but that's where I am. 
However, if I do qualify, and even better, if I win it, and I take Gary Woodland's title from him, I think that's worthy of a little of a little credit, especially with the torn labrum. So be prepared for yet another 30 for 30. Uh, Carlos Spicy Wiener, two-parter, both asinine. Number one, Mount Rushy of seafood joints in town. Gangster Pete, I got to be honest with you. I enjoy seafood, but I enjoy seafood if I'm in other parts of our uh, nation. It's not something I think of in St. Louis. Do you have any recommendations? I'm a huge seafood fan, but there aren't a ton of great places. Uh, Peacemaker, it's got good lobster rolls. Bristol and Creve I would always go there for good seafood. I used to go to school out there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know a lot of great places around here. One of my go-tos, um, but they got rid of it. I don't know if they'll bring it back. I don't know if it's a seasonal thing. This grilled grouper with kale and quinoa salad at, you know, my play. Well, we had, You've we had, had lunch it with there. Me, yeah. Yes. Uh, it was a go-to. And then they switched the menu at Bricktops, uh, which is at uh, Clayton and Lindbergh. Um, I mean, I, sushi is obviously different than seafood, although more, more often than not, you're going to be enjoying fish, uh, of course. But, I, you know, I mean... I don't, I'm just like straight seafood. I don't know. I don't know when I'm in San I had a There's good shrimp scampi at Billy G's over the weekend. There you go. Billy G's. On the water. <laughs> I don't know. I, Gangster Pete and I are both are drawing blanks. Carlos Spicy Wiener, we apologize. Number two, Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast. So make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Will you be reading the Barrett Sports Media Top 10 Reasons Your Show Wasn't Ranked to Enhance TMA Going Forward? It's a great question. I will actually answer what I know was uh, designed, of course, to be asinine, as you noted, Carlos Spicy Wiener, with this. And I, I kind of, I'm so careful on the radio because I feel like it's kind of like making it sound like, like people, if they didn't know better, they would actually think we really care. And we don't. We just, it's part of like the show dialogue. Like if, even if we were number one, we wouldn't care. And I'm being like, we'd probably play around with it, but it just, because it, it doesn't matter. It's not like I have in my deal. Hey, if you are in the top 10 in Barrett Sports Media, you get a check for this. And it's just, it's a, it's an arbitrary thing. Here's the thing that, that I, that I will make an observation that is actually serious on it is Jason has a system to get offenses into the end zone. And I guess it works. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not, it's not my style of system. But just because it's not my style of system, I don't spend time on my sideline and chastising him for running his system. The thing that I feel comfortable in observing and being serious about it is I feel like he does stand on his sideline and complain about the way we get into the end zone. And I'm just like, why do you fucking care if we're both getting in the end zone and it doesn't impact you, you get in the end zone. Does that, am I making an analogy that works gangster Pete? Yeah, you both have different styles. He's got a style that he likes. Your style's different, and uh, he has a problem with it. Yeah, and you it don't seems care. Like you it. don't. If he gets in zone, you don't care. I just don't care. It's it, like Jay Z says, "What you eat don't make me shit." Wow, I hadn't heard Hove say that. What is Hove. that from? Thank you, a loyal listener of the podcast. It's your boy. Uh, that's not bad. The, so, so like for for example, with one hundred and one, 
I actually have enjoyed 101 being in the market because the people who, and we only had it for five years because I think they came in in like 2009 or 10, that um, for the people who would complain about us doing what we do, they had a place to go and they kind of left if they did, or they just, it's kind of like, okay, then don't listen. Like we really mean that. And people hate it when you tell them that because then it like, they want you to be as agitated as they are. But I'm like, this is what we do. And at this point we've done it for 16 years or 15 and a half years. You know, you might not like it, but it, you know, obviously there's a following and it's kind of like, I don't know what to tell you. you. You can't make us care about, a Missouri basketball regular season game for a team that's like hovering around 500. You can't do it. It's just not going to happen. And we're not going to like start screaming about a Cardinal regular season game in April. It's not who we are. Just like you can't text Bernie and go, Hey, why haven't you talked about Gianna Dior winning best (laughs) new starlet? It's just not who he is. But I don't sit here and do my show and go, boy, how about what they're doing at one Oh one? It's like, let them do it. Who gives a fuck? We sell pizza. They sell hamburgers. We're both restaurants, but like, I don't care. And, and I, I also want to make this clear. I know they don't care. If anything, you know, we have really good relationships with, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, who, who would, by the way, who, who would you there have a bad relationship with? You know, that all the, all the people there are, are fine people, uh, if not really good people. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. But I do think that Jason, I guess, I don't know, kind of comes from the, you know, in order to win, somebody has to lose my mindset, I think, which is like when I hear Stern interview somebody in media now, like when he'll have either Colbert or Fallon or Kimmel on and how, you know, he'll talk about with them, like the ratings and then like, well, you want to see the other two guys slip up. And then they, all three of them say the same thing, like, no, don't really. And I think it was Kimmel, but it might have been Colbert who said on Stern, like, you're coming from a time when if you weren't listening to you, Howard, then there was no other way to get your content. And now you still can, if you don't watch me live, you can still watch my show, whether it be DVR or on YouTube or on social media. And so it, 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 it just isn't the same way. So that that's kind of where I am. Although I also, my, my, my biggest thing, and I, I'm not speaking for Doug or the cat. I think, I think they would agree, but again, I'm not speaking for him is that our observation in doing this stuff for as long as we've done it, you know, and I mean, with Doug, you're talking shit, I don't know, 40 years actually with the cat, you're talking 30 and with me, you're talking 20. So you're talking about combined 90 years for the most part, not, an absolute, but for the most part, the people who get caught up in worrying about and attacking other personalities are usually not in 2020, the people who are doing really well. So that's also something just to be kind of as a pro tip, I guess. Um, I mean, I know it's fun and I know it's kind of red meat for the audience and the audience loves that kind of stuff, but uh, you know, just think about that. And I think you probably, when you think about it, you go, oh yeah, you're really right. So, that, I mean, the reality is we just don't think about it. I just, it, it doesn't cross our mind. Like somebody can text in and go, hey, Bernie's got this. And I go, oh, sweet. I'll be, I'll, I'm anxious to read what he has. <laughs> I don't go, oh shit, Pete, we got to get on this because <laughs> it's just not where we are. And it's, it's kind of, it's, I think if in a way, uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of school. I don't think I'm speaking out of school, 
Like, I think it's something that attracted some people to the athletic. Whereas it used to be you were on call that if there was news that you had to be up and then tweeting about it and then calling your sources and it could be four in the morning. And it's just like, it's not a way to live. It's not a happy way to live. It's not good from a family standpoint. And, and so, you know, now you're writing more features and it's not about like making sure you break the news. That's not a fun way to live, man. Not only is it because you're, because you're, because you're never really off. Like, uh, I feel like Derek was, when Derek Gould came in here to do a podcast and then what was later that day that was at the trade with Matthew, we're still debating how to pronounce it properly. It's like Miles Michaelis, people just kind of mumbled it initially. Uh, Miles Michaelis, Michaelis, Libertor from the Rays and, um, Martinez and what a Rosarina going to Tampa that night. Yep. He was on vacation. And then I'm like five hours later, I'm like, Oh my God, this poor mother. He's got, he's sitting there and he's doing his job. He's doing the right thing. That's why he's so good at it. But you're never really off. And that's just not what our thing is. And the nice thing is that really minus the Barrett thing, which again is, 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 it's like so over the top that it truly is satirical, even though it's not satirical. Um, we don't talk about, we just don't spend any time thinking about it. Like I assure you, I assure you, Bernie Miklas doesn't think about us for a second when he's putting together or hosting his show or when he's done. And I assure you, me, Doug, and the cat, and Gangster Pete Niggy, and Paul Hawk, don't think about Bernie at all. And it's, it's, it's not, it, none of it's a shot. It's just we do two totally, we don't think about Charlie Brennan either. We're doing two totally different things. And I think it's cool. So the, the only thing that I'll make an observation on this is it's like, it's good, 101's doing well, great. Because the, the, the more stations that are doing this style of format, the better, the more opportunities for people. Because most of the people in it are cool people and good people. So good. It's better that they're doing well than like not. Um, just like I want the athletic to succeed. Good, more opportunities, even though I'm not in print or digital. But it's odd to me in 2020 when somebody's like, okay, well, here's the reason why you're not in the top 20. And then like, it's like, dude, it's like what you like. It's like if I did a ranking of my favorite fries and then like I pontificated as to why. So for those of you who are not in the top fries of my list this year, here is why you are probably not in it. Number one, fry too thin. Your th- your fries need to be thicker. My personal taste. <laughs> yeah. Here is my personal taste and I'm going to do a list. It's like, this is what I like. I mean, what, I mean, really? We're gonna, it's, it's like... So that's what he likes, and that's cool. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying there's multiple ways to get in the end zone. So that's that's it. And this is what we like to do. Obviously, there's a following for it. You can act like there's not and block all of our listeners, but it you know it doesn't it, it doesn't have an impact on it. So like, the fact that it gets in his kitchen is because I really do. I mean, when it got down to it, I, what you know what happened in 2006 with the show was really unfortunate. Um. But, I mean, it did lead to, you know, it did lead to us going to a more stable environment at 1380. It led to Doug being a part of the show. Uh, and to Jason's credit, completely unsolicited, he reached out to me and we met and he gave me uh, proof, so to speak, of, uh, you know, it was not his plan to uh, fire the cat. Um, you know, when all of that all happened and the cat got a new bathroom. So, uh but I mean, you know, when it gets down, it's business. It's business. You know, I mean, that's, he got a right to do what he's got to do. You know, I might disagree with it and I might think it makes no sense, 
And the audience might think that, but hey, you got to, you know, if you think it, you know, that, that's fine. I don't appreciate being blamed for his decisions that didn't work out, but it's been 13 years and I don't, I didn't think about it much in 2010, much less 2020. So, you know, for the handful of people who might go, oh, you guys are really upset about not being in the top 20. I mean, I, I put me on a lie detector and I'll bet everything I have and you will see that that's not the case. We're doing our stupid shit as normal. But the one thing that I will say from a serious perspective, it's like, like we obviously do something and it works and it's totally different than what you like, but why do you care? You know, like why not go, well, this is one way to do it. And here's my recommendation as opposed to, well, if you're not doing it my way, you're failing, you know, or it's, or it's, you're lazy. That's like the other thing. It's like, okay. So I'm the guy who had to start my own company or didn't have to, chose to start my own company, sold my own advertising, hired people, protected them from getting fired and kept the show together. Well, I don't think anybody who, I don't know if anybody else in the market has done that, but I don't go, Hey motherfuckers, how come you didn't start your own companies? Lazy asses. I just did what I did. So that's my observation on that for, for like a sliver of seriousness on it. Uh, let's see. What athlete who played before your time, do you wish you could have seen play their sport live and why? person you met face to face and thought, I can't believe this is happening. Ah, I like that second one. The first one, I don't know if I just did it. Pete, uh, I'm going to buy time and go to you on the first one. Uh, I would have liked to see Willie Mays play. I've heard a lot of good things. You know, I just, I, I think rarely with a baseball player, do you go whole, like, like just in that, like that four at bat nine inning, you go, Oh my God, this guy's in another world versus everybody else. I don't know. I mean, pool holes to an extent, like how hard he would hit the ball consistently. But even then, I don't know, maybe it's because I experienced that, that I take it for the, you know, take it for granted. Bonds, when that was going on, was nuts. I mean, that was, that was like either a walk or he's going to hit the shit out of the baseball. So I don't know if I can do that. Jordan, Magic and Bird, I did love that growing up. Maybe it's because I was, you know, eight. I don't know. One of the best books I ever read was about Magic and Bird. What was the title of the book? Official recommendation. I gotta look it up. Is Jackie McMullen wrote it. Oh, yeah. It was excellent. I'm trying to think, like golf, like even golf wise, like there's got to be something. There's got to be one that I feel like I'm missing. Uh, I would like to watch Jack play in this prime. I was too young for yeah. that. Yeah, and then but uh, even a lot of basketball players like Pistol Pete. People used to call me Pistol all the time, so I'd I would have loved to watch him play. Heard good stories about him. Yeah, people do talk about him. Uh, some of those running backs like Jim Brown. Mike Tyson's dominance is something that so in awesome. in its 90 seconds or two or three minutes of it going on. So that's what I'm saying. Like even Tiger, if you're at Augusta in 97, it's like, unless, I mean, even if you're following him around, he's just birdieing holes. It's not, I mean, I don't get me wrong. It's nuts. But well, is it like in that moment a rush? So Tyson, I don't know. I mean, and maybe for some of you, you're like, how can you like ignore Stan Musial or something like that? What do you got? When the game on? was ours. Ah, yeah. One I've of the best books that. I've ever read. There you go. I highly I've actually it. heard about that one. Uh, and then I'm anxious to hear your answer on this. And I assume I am the answer. Person you yeah. met face-to-face and thought, I can't believe this is happening. So so to not put pressure on you, taking me out of the equation. Uh, I mean, I guess I haven't really met all that many famous people. I thought it was really cool to meet Baruby after uh, we won the cup. <laughs> you did like that for the podcast. I enjoyed that, yep. But uh, yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. Huh. I mean, I've met... By meet, I mean shook hands with President Obama, but it wasn't like we were talking. Um, I do feel like 
like the night, which I think I made reference to on the radio show today, which is what are, what are the chances? Because it's nearly 20 years old and I'm making a second reference to it in a matter of hours. The night where I was just sitting with and drinking with Charles Barkley for like four hours, probably wasn't that long, but like two or three in Scottsdale. I think it was at the Ritz-Carlton the night after the Cardinal, not the night after, the night the Cardinals lost to the Diamondbacks in 2001. Uh, and I didn't want to go out, but I had met this this girl, and it wasn't like that. She was going out with a guy who was actually on the New England Patriots, and I would later see her and that dude. Uh, his name was Mike Compton, actually. He's the one doing snow angels in the end zone with a confetti after Vinatieri's uh, ball goes through the uprights. Awesome. Yeah, so there's the tie-in. But uh, but it wasn't, we never hooked up or anything like that. Um, while there are a lot of similarities between me and NFL offensive linemen, there also are some important differences and, uh, and she chose, she chose him and that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. But, uh, we, we, we hit it off and, um, and we, uh, she invited me to go out and I said, I'm depressed. The Cardinals lost. I'm not going anywhere. And she goes, no, we're going to go out with Barkley. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So I'll go. She picks me up and we go out to Scott cause I was staying in downtown Phoenix by the ballpark and we go out to Scottsdale and we just sit there at the Ritz, which is where I think the Cardinals were staying. Because I remember seeing Daryl Kyle and Matt Morris walking in as me, her, and Barkley were walking out. And that's one of those things because it wasn't just like a brief thing where I look back on it and I'm like, God, I just sat there with him for like three hours. Although I feel like there's got to be uh, some others. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. The one that stands out to me most. And I don't know why this one's more than Barkley, actually, because I would say Barkley's probably a bigger quote unquote star, I guess, I don't know, is when Joe Buck and I were talking about, and we did do a podcast for a week, except we did it on the radio and he was really into it. And at this point now it's eight years ago, which is, which fucks me up. And so we went to New York, he was calling the Falcons and Giants playoff game. And, um, and we we're going to meet with like one of his agents and, um, and, we, Anna Marie and I were staying at one hotel. I think we were staying in lower Manhattan. He was in Midtown. He goes, Hey, can you meet me here? We're going to meet this guy, uh, here. And I'm like, all right, no, no problem. And, um, and he goes, Oh, we're not going to meet at the hotel. We're going to meet at this restaurant. Dos Caminos, by the way, which used to be at the Venetian Palazzo in Las Vegas was one of my favorite Mexican restaurants and no longer there tilts me, but there was one in New York city, probably still there. I think that's what it was called. And, uh, and I get there and it's just me and Joe and, we sit down and then Aikman's sitting there and Chris Myers and then the agent guy. And Joe and I were kind of talking about what our vision was for the business, which is so in a way, and I haven't talked to you about this, Pete, but it's one of those things like it's what's going on now <laughs> and we were doing it, but we were, we didn't wind up doing it where you have people like that doing podcasts. And that's what our vision was. And so I think Aikman who didn't know me and Chris Myers, um, you know, it's just kind of bullshitting with the agent guy and Joe's there. So it's the five of us at a table. It's like for happy hour. And I think Aikman views me as like, oh, he's business money guy, which I'm not, of course, but that's what he was thinking. And Joe's talking about what we're thinking about doing. And then I guess Aikman's like at that point sizing me. I, so I'm just, in, I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing? That's honestly what I'm thinking. I truly am. I think some people like don't like this, these stories. Cause they're like, oh, you think you're, you're name dropping. And I don't know if it, I hope it doesn't come off that way, but fuck, I don't know. It's, it's a real thing. Well, the question asked you to name drop. Yeah, I guess it did. You're right. <laughs> and so Joe mentions like what the kind of compensation structure would look like. And Aikman looks at me and like, 
like kind of like now he's in, I, I'm in, I'm in negotiation motherfuck mode. And he goes, well, I can tell you this. I'm not doing a damn thing for less than this number. And he gave me the number <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's good. Cause I don't really have anything to do with it because I'm just here and excited to be here. You won a lot of Super Bowls. You're in the hall of fame. And, and I'm, he's like, he's just kind of like staring me and he's like, in, he's like in that mode, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know? And I think, I think Joe jumped in and goes, yeah, I mean, Tim's not the guy that, you know, um, and then later that night, I wasn't with Anna Marie at the time. And then later that night, she goes, oh, we're going to go get dinner. I have Anna Marie meet up with us. And, uh, and we're, and it's like, it's, it was like, it was like the Goodfellas table thing. Oh yeah, it's some kind of restaurant, like a well-known restaurant. Except there's like a secret room, and so we get there, and they're like, "Oh yeah, come with." And it's like it's like people are waiting to get into the main restaurant, and then they take us through the kitchen, and then down the steps, and then there's like a secret, like cave-like dining area, which had TVs because I remember that night the Cotton Bowl. I think the Cotton Bowl was on. Uh, it's like a Friday night, and uh, and it's it's me. Anna Marie sits down. I think I think they're looking at like, oh, here's just one of the standard like you know, groupies who are, who's, you know, popping up at the table. They don't know. I mean, she used at the time in her twenties and, uh, and it's me, Joe and Troy at the end of the table, along with my wife. And we're bullshitting about this whole thing. At that point, Troy now realizes he doesn't need to like mean mug me. And we're sitting there kind of talking about sports talk radio. And Joe's like, his show in St. Louis is just the greatest thing because they don't talk about sports. And Troy goes, oh, that's what I love. And he goes, I I think he owns part of the ticket in Dallas, which is at least at the time he did. I don't know if he does anymore, which is a really successful sports talk station. I mean, it's up there with the best in the country. Um, and uh, and he goes, that's what I like. I love going on there because, I mean, we will talk a little sports, but, I mean, they just screw off all day. That's what they do. And I'm like, that's the move. I mean, that's the model. Um, and I just remember sitting there thinking, I'm like, what am I doing here? And then a couple weeks later, same same purpose, except this time it was – Santa Monica, except it wound up being Palm Springs as a stopover. Uh, and Joe was MC in this thing for a charity. And, uh, and he said, Hey, you guys want to come? And it's me and Anna Marie. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess it might as well. And it wound up being, and I'm sure I've told this, I had to have told this before, but it wound up being like this, I mean, like LA elite thing with, Oh yeah, and you were dressed down, and dressed like yeah. with my green cardinal cap that yeah. I've had since I don't know when, since like '04, and like just like a shitty shirt like this, because we didn't know. We just thought we we're going to be like, okay, he's doing this. We'll just have beer somewhere, and and you know, I mean, we were. I remember meeting Pat Perez. Um, not that Pat Perez is like you know, but but he was like sitting next to me, and I had never, I wasn't familiar with him actually at the time because I was kind of off my golf thing for a while at that point. And Joe goes, meet the loudest mouth in the PGA tour. And I'm like, Oh yeah. He and now, as it turns out, that was definitely him. And, uh, but I mean, right next to us was Elway, Mary Hart, Tony Robbins. And then they're like, ladies and gentlemen, Glenn Fry. And so Glenn Fry for like a, a 200 people or is performing a private concert. And I'm just like, what in the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> and it wasn't anything I had accomplished. You know, I'm coattails, hundred percent coattails. And then later that night, also there was Massimo becoming way more famous now because of the Lori Laughlin. I met his wife in Aspen. Did you? Was Massimo there? Uh, no, he wasn't there. My buddy, I was talking to my buddy and he saw Lori at the bar mm -hmm. and he just stopped talking to me, walked up to her and I think he called her Becky, but he's going to hit on her and she just walked straight yeah, away. Probably not going to probably gonna work. Props to him for going straight yeah, up. Yeah, you got to shoot to score, I guess. Good job, Shep. Shout out to Shep and Deebs. Are they on the same? Are they in the same group chat? Uh, yeah. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, I remember just being like, I, I had no idea who he was. And I, I would imagine 95 plus percent of the country didn't. They might know the name from the brand up until this, you know, USC scandal thing. And he's still more known now as Lori Laughlin's. But I remember talking to him and I'm like, oh, these guys are hitting on Anna Marie, whatever. It's kind of, you know, I get it. People are like, there's no way she's really with him. So we'll take our shot because there's a good chance that, you know, there's no way she's really with him. Uh, so, and I totally understand it. And I don't really blame anybody for it. Um, and not that Massimo is like this, you know, imposing. But so we wound up bullshitting. And it, it kind, of turned, kind of turned into a podcast because I had no idea who he was. And it wasn't like he was like, I'm Massimo. And we're just talking about it. And he starts telling like how, yeah, he, you know, had a rack of clothes outside of his like little place in, in, I think it was in the garment district in New York city. And then it kind of started growing and then it grew and he goes, yeah. And then I wound up selling it to, uh, you know, to target for, you know, I don't think he named the number. And I go, geez, what a fucking story. And I go, what's your name again? He goes, Massimo. And I go, you mean like, and and it all came. I'm like, holy shit. I had no idea. But what tipped me off most was he goes, did you, did you watch full house? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you know, Aunt Becky from Full House. And I go, yeah. And he goes, yeah, that's my wife. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know? (laughs) Don't call her that if you're hitting on her. No. And he was talking to me, and I will use the adverb ironically, although I believe it's not the proper use of it, about how, and this is 2012, about how it's so, he goes, do you guys have kids yet? And we're like, no. And at that point, we'd only been married for, I don't even know, a few months. And uh, and he goes, oh, man, it's a whole thing. He goes, I have daughters, and now they've become the story in that scandal. He sure does. And he goes, it's a whole thing. And then kind of went into, you know, some things that I know weren't, not that any of this was for, but I don't think I'm violating any codes by telling the story. Uh, and so when all of this started up, I'm like, oh, Lori Laughlin. I go, I wonder if she's still with Massimo. I'm like, oh my God, now Massimo is involved in it too. And I'm like, and I think when Chase was in here, I think he actually brought that up because they all know each other from this like um, Discovery Properties thing. And we were at the Madison Club. That's where we were, which I think is where Mickelson will play in uh, like when he's in, in home during the off season in Palm Springs. But, um, you know, I mean, I, so, so, so I want to be clear. I, if the story entertains people or if it angers people who like, oh, fuck you for telling the story. I don't know if it does or not. It's, it's true, but I do want to make it clear. It's not like, yes, I have accomplished so much. And therefore I had put on this Glenn Fry private concert for my friends, Tony Robbins, Mary Hart and John Elway. I was coattails. I showed up looking like a hoodlum to the point that people were wondering, wow, who is this? And, uh, he must be rich. Yeah, he, yeah, he must be so rich. He doesn't fucking care. He's the Zuckerberg, you know, of the, the Joe's friends with from the Midwest. You know, and that's the thing. Oh, you're from the Midwest too. It's not like you're from St. Louis. You're from Missouri. You're from the Midwest because oh, that's the thing that we know we're halfway to New York when we're over it. Um. All right. What else do we have here? You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first-hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy. I've got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. 
And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which, of course, was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just... It's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the, on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments, so you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. Um, are you, oh, that's a good one too. Good work. Are you optimistic that the match part two, Iggy versus producer Joe, will happen? Gangster Pete. Gangster Pete. Uh, I mean, I would love to see it. I mean... I don't understand why it didn't happen before. Joe refused. 100% right. So, Joe. like, he wants to do it now, even if it's not uh, a yeah, loser yeah, leaves town I thing? I, I, I think it will. I mean, I know I'm going to have to kind of, you know, get the ball going in order to to, to, to get it done. But I, mean, I think Iggy's it will. pretty good at golf. He plays a lot of golf. Iggy is a great match. Iggy would be a great partner for me, like, in, like, yeah. like you know, events because he he's, he's a blow-up hole guy, but his handicap, you know, because your handicap is based right. on what your score is. And so score-wise, he'll shoot in the 90s, maybe upper 80s. But he's he's got as good a chance as anybody of parring a hole. And in, in our kind of match play, that's going to most likely win. So especially if he's getting a pop. Does Joe know? have a handicap? Uh, it's, I don't think he's like tracking a real gin. I don't know if Iggy is either. But I th- he, we always play him like as an 18 or 20. All right. So, But I think it's straight up. I think it's straight up. I don't think anybody's going to be pops, but I'm saying like, if it were like in member guest type things, Iggy would be, Iggy's, it could be a dangerous force. Although I don't think he's got a real gin either. He doesn't. Uh, uh, I, th- but yes, I do think it would answer your question. Uh, Mike, I do think it will happen. Um, I haven't gone through these, so I have no idea if I'm going to go into things. Of course you can always use the shears. What is your approach to minimizing troublesome people in your life that you are stuck dealing with? Bye. <laughs> That's your. That's the way you manage it. That's how I do it. Uh, coworker, uh, boss, family, in-laws, other random people that hang around for one reason or another. All right, so I'm going to answer this, probably not in the way that people are hoping that I would answer it, um, because it just struck me that this is kind of an, an area that I'm getting into, Pete, that you're not there yet, and maybe you never will. Do you want to have kids? I'm not against it. Uh, if it happens in the right way and time, As I'm in not like it. because you yeah, I'm not. some. I'm not just going to do it to do it. Right. Um, this is something that because for about 20 or so years, I have 
not hung out with or worked with people I don't want to be around. Period. Uh, that's it. That's it. There's really nothing else to it. That's it. That's a conscious choice. Um, it's not really all that cutting edge, but a lot of my friends, because they have been having, they had kids 15 years ago for some of them, uh, they, they haven't had that choice. And so I, so this, this was the thing that reminded me that I'm probably entering into a different realm because of the parenthood thing. I posted a picture. I don't even know what it was. I'm that guy. I post, the only thing I post now are pictures of like me and Anna Marie and Jameson. That's, that's, that's the extent of my social media. So I'm a horrible follow. Um, and I don't even know what it was. Oh, it was Jameson getting out of his crib. Um, which is a defining moment for any parent. And like, I, I'm like, okay, you're, I'm, I'm of course doing it a lot more calmly right now. You're out of line. I told you not to do this. Uh, if you're going to pull out the gun, you got to be willing to pull the trigger. So I made the threat. You still breached our verbal agreement as much as one can have with a 20 month old. And therefore now you shall be penalized. The penalty being I'm taking you up to your crib and he's raging. He's raging. <laughs> and I go downstairs and Anna Marie goes, Oh, you really did put him. I said, I'm going to pull out the gun. I got to pull the trigger. Cause then he's going to start thinking I'm not willing to pull the trigger. So when I pull out the gun, it's not going to have any impact. Got to pull the trigger. I'm going to pull out the gun. Got to pull the trigger. She goes, okay. So I'm like, all right, we're going to have 15 minutes of some silence down here. Woman. Cause that's <laughs> how I run my house. No, I said, we're going to just be cool. And then I had left something upstairs. So this is in the, we're in our basement. Then you have the you know living room where I'd left something and I'm like, I hear him. And I'm like, God, he sounds closer than where his bedroom is. And I go upstairs to where his, you know, this is where the bedrooms are. And, I, and I'm like, holy shit, he's walking around <laughs> and talking. And then he's smiling at me like, look at me, motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, he can get out of his crib now. And so I posted the picture because I just thought it was amusing. And I realized, you know, for, for the however many whatever, because I, I just, for a period of time, just accepted whatever friend request on Facebook, and I guess they cap it at 5,000, that of the 5,000 or however many I have, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know, 4,000. Like, I don't know them personally. And and so what what happened on that picture, and it wasn't terrible, but it was it was eye-opening, is you have what I will describe as parental pontification, which is something for people who know me, they know I don't really fucking care what you think. Like people go, did people ever ask you like why you haven't had kids? Or I go, no. And I guess it's because I'm such an asshole that they know that they don't even want to bother because they're like, I don't want to fuck with that, you know? So I've, I've, it's just kind of like, I don't have to deal with like some of the questions that other people would, would deal with. Like perhaps like the plow hook, like he's been with uh, Madison, not even that long, but it's like, Oh, when are you going to get married? Like I never got that shit. Um, and I think it's the asshole factor. But that also is me kind of controlling my interaction with people. Well, so if you post a picture of your child doing anything, and all I posted was shit just got real, just like a joke. You know, it's just like I happen to capture this picture. It's just like whatever, just stupid shit. It's not a serious thing. And a few people, and it's not like a lot. And then all I know is always <laughs> with good intentions. So you know where I'm going with this. I'm already getting tilted. <laughs> Started telling me how to handle it and what to do. Right. People I don't know. And I'm like, oh, this might be where I need to like have, like, I, I need to like do my own personal account where like, it's just the people I know. And like, that's where I'll post my family stuff, which of course is a, for whatever reason, a psychological need for a parent 
And then I'll have my show stuff on a different account. And, you know, Jameson will never see the light of day on that one. Uh, and again, I want to make it clear. Nobody posted anything like, oh, my God, I can't believe. Um, but I'm just like, what the fuck <laughs> makes you think I want your input on how to raise my son or that you can come to my page and we don't know each other and you can give it. And again, nobody was doing it in a like, what the, because he wasn't doing, it. he was getting out of his crib. It's just a joking picture. But I was like, this, this, this hits me that I, I am no longer going to be in control as to who's around me. And, uh, and that was, that was, a, that was a moment there. It that became a bit much bigger moment than Jameson getting out of his crib. It became, oh, this type of thing is going to go kind of like, oh, I'm going to a golf course as a, uh, as a single and I am at full risk as to who I'm paired with, but I know I want to play. And so this is the price I'm going to pay. I'm going to be paired. And 95% of the time I love, I would much rather play with three people. I don't know than go out there by myself. But like, that's, that's a, and 95, maybe even more percent of the time. It's the best. I love it. I love it. I love just bullshit with people finding out about their lives and kind of the same basis for the family podcast thing. I just enjoy, I will enjoy those conversations for four hours. Makes it much more fun than just hitting shots and being by yourself. Um, but, you know, occasionally, you know, we'll run into a situation, you know, 5% of the time where you're just like, oh, that's kind of ruined the round. Uh, and I guess I kind of, I got to be aware of it, that that is part of the deal with, um, with parenthood. And listen, Hey, on the other side of it, I'm sure there are some parents who my son will be in school with, assuming I'm still living here and doing this stuff and who knows what the future holds. But, uh, you know, um, who will be like, Oh, I don't want you hanging out with him because his dad's the one who talks to the porn stars or whatever it might be, um, or talks about sex or whatever. I don't know. So I'm aware of that, but it just was a little, it was a little peak. So I know that isn't exactly the question that was asked, but it did actually resonate with me because it's something that I recently, um, just like last week, actually, I think experienced gangster Pete, you are coming at this from an absolute third party arm's length perspective. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't involve you, but you can have the perspective. What is your, why was it tilting you, sir? Ladies and gentlemen, gangster Oh, Pete. I just thought people were going to like have advice and, I thought they might be more like, oh, you're doing it wrong, stuff like that. It's just like, get alive. Yeah, it's just kind of like advising. But I know they're thinking, because there are these, like, like Anna Marie's, like in these mom's groups, which I can't, I mean, that to me is Dante's Inferno. Right. You know? And it's like she's doing, like, she like she finds it helpful. And it's like, well, the mom's group said this about, like, the we went down to the aquarium, took Jameson down there. And it was fine, for the record, people wanting feedback. Was the was the aquarium cool? I, I want to see it. Uh, it was fine. It was uh, all right. That's not, that's not what I was hoping you'd say. Uh, it, I, I I mean you've you've met James and you're not around him often, but I mean he's I I can't get enough of him. However, he is a he is <laughs> he's got he, energy. He does, and he does not he does not stop. If he could stay, he might be one of those people who doesn't need to sleep. I don't know. I'm starting to wonder because anytime I put him to bed and sometimes it'll be as late as like nine 30, I'm sure some parents are going, how in the hell are you doing that? Um, so email me is to tell me why I'm wrong, but, uh, that, you know, it's, it's a different situation than, you know, it's like if we do go to Florida and one of my favorite days of my life period in 43 years was when I took him to the Honda Classic last year and it was a high risk play. I don't even know if I took like a little backpack full of like 
you know, his bottles and milk and snacks and all that. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just, we're going to get on the shuttle. You know, it's only whatever, a few, whatever, I don't know, a half mile away from the entrance, a half mile away from our place. And I'm going to go with my son over to this golf tournament and take, and it wound up being the greatest thing. I mean, it was just the greatest thing ever. Players were tossing him balls, saying hi to him. I mean, it was just, it's just like a day, like, you know, on my deathbed, I think I'll remember. Uh, I just loved it. It was the greatest. And that's actually, when I think about going to Florida, I don't think about, oh, I want to play golf or I want to be out of the St. Louis weather. I think about, I want to be at the Honda Classic again with my son. That's what I think about. And, um, and I also think about, okay, he's batshit. And I really worry about like him, like having a fit in the, in somebody's backswing. And so like this thing that right now is like this pure memory, I worry it could become like, like we'll be like on social media and getting lit up by like Tron Carter um, about, you know, shouldn't take a two-year-old to a golf tournament um, because that's what I'm talking about. So the reason I tie all of this in gangster Pete is your experience as a young without a high energy two-year-old going to the aquarium would be different than mine. That's what I'm saying. Gotcha. So that's what I want to make sure I say. And also, I don't know, it's kind of like the guy who started looking at Playboys at like eight, you know, it, it means you're going to need a lot more by the time you're 20. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm kind of at a point where I really need to see something to really get me going. Whereas, you know, for, uh, and, and not because I've experienced, just because I'm so fucking whatever messed up that, uh, that which might stimulate others does not stimulate me. So, but I also was dealing with, you know, there's like this play area for kids where they're all putting their hands in water. I'm just like, this is like, you know, this is, this is, this is the virus factory. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, and he's going to scream when I pull away from it. So you don't have to worry about the virus factory. Uh, all right. What else do we have going on uh, here? Oh my goodness. Um, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares, and Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503, or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart. And just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? I like that question. Is that another one of your buddies? Is that another one of your buddies? That's on the fan page. Sounds like one of my friends. Let's see what I got here. All right. Uh, Because there was one that I was looking forward to answering an email. And now that I've just gone through, um, we've had our Caden interview and uh, this. But I liked this. But I haven't read the whole thing. Oh, this we've gotten more since then. People really prefer the email route. I respect that. This was a good book. But I think I know where it was going. But I just read like the first three sentences. So I don't know where it goes because it looks like it's going longer. Uh, Tim, a couple of weeks back, TMA started discussing the new Lifetime Fitness in Frontenac, and it came out that the cat has a membership. I like it. It came out. This led to the usual reindeer games with Doug teasing the cat for being an elite, along with the texters getting involved. Whether for show fodder or real, the cat became defensive of the reasons for being a member 
and his membership overall. That got me to thinking about your comments on being a country club member and the reaction that you imagine people having to hearing about you belonging to a country club. So really, a two-part question here for you. Number one, do you actually believe backlash? Do you act? I want to make sure I'm reading this. Oh, do you actually receive? Do you actually receive backlash from people when you mentioned being part of a country club? Number two, when did it become commonplace for successful people to be scorned for being successful? I am 41 to set the age parameters and remember looking up to successful people as something to aim for. When I knew someone who belonged to a special club, it didn't make me feel bad about my place in life. Instead, it gave me something to aim for and a goal to achieve. When did a person's position in life, financially, socially, etc., become something to ridicule them for achieving and become a reason to blame them for your position in life? In other words, when did someone's success become something seen as a negative? When did we as a people stop holding success as something to aim for and instead start blaming other success as the reason we are not? Hope this makes sense. And if you need further clarification, please don't hesitate to let me know. Feel free to use my name if you want. That comes from David Ellington. And I believe we used to call him when he emailed into the show years ago, David the Duke Ellington. Is he another friend of yours? He is not. Okay. I loved it. I only read like the first three sentences. And then, it, and then it actually, in my mind, the, then it, the email got better. And this will be it. I could, I, cause I could do three hours on this email alone. Gangster Pete, what stands out to you from this? Anything, anything at all? I don't hang out with people like that, so it's not not an issue I do. And by with. that, you mean people who would like be hating on that type yes. of stuff? Yes, like anybody that I hang out would be happy for any success that you have. I mean, and they they strive to achieve those things. It's not like they look down and hate on people for having stuff they don't have. I mean, that's just that's such a non productive way to look at look at things, in my opinion. But you would agree, there's people like that out there. Yes, and would you agree that it is increased? recently i don't know i think maybe you just can have more access to it with people can tweet their thoughts that's out fair and things like that i read and i don't know if you read it because it's a grueling read i posted it on the fan page i don't mess around when i post recommended <laughs> readings or recommended podcasts like i'm like all in when i do it because i know it can be received and all i do is i just post it i don't say i'm just right. gonna leave this right here i just here it is you can take it for whatever i don't go pine on it i thought it was sent to me by a listener sharp listener too i know he's a sharp guy um and it is titled, didn't gain a lot of traction because I know a lot of people didn't read it or they read <laughs> just like the first few paragraphs and they're like, oh my God, there's 10,000 more words. I'm out. It was so fucking good. I almost, I debated as to whether for questions from the audience to read it, but I mean, it was, it's so, it's so abstract and it's, it's, it wouldn't be a good read. It's, it's like, a, it's like something like a lecture, you know, like a college lecture, but so often on this podcast, and this will this will tie together to David the Duke Ellington's email. It will. And I'm still scrolling down the fan page to find the fucking thing. It's from the New Republic. You might have read it, Pete. It's a, it's probably up your alley. Um, trying to think of what it was. It is it, so often on this podcast. Here it is. Recommend Educated Fools from New Republic. Um, it's from late January, January twentieth, I guess. So often on this podcast. This is why I could do three hours on this. This is why. So often on this podcast, we, it gets back into media and or politics. And I love the fact that people who are certainly Trump supporters like hearing our discussions. And I don't know what makes our discussions different than what you normally hear. I don't know. I don't have an answer to it because it's not like I get together with Pete and go, okay, let's make sure we do this because this will appeal to Trump. It's not, it's, I just, I just say what I think. Um, and I guess sometimes you know, the left 
is 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 the target. Although nobody's really ever a target. It's just I say what I think, and this be oh that was a shot at the left, or that was a shot at the right, or that's a shot at Trump, or that's a shot at Bernie Sanders, or Elizabeth Warren, or whatever it is, or Joe Biden, or Pete Buttigieg, or Amy Klobuchar. I, I guess I've covered Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang. Covered, and Blo- Bloomberg. I've covered everybody now. That it's just I, this is what I think, and I might be wrong. Also, so with that said, I feel like 2020's version of why are we here is how and why are people so supportive of someone who they acknowledge is lying to them? <laughs> and I and I want to make sure that I know I know you laughed at that, and I'm not I'm not doing it for a laugh. I also understand laughing at it, but I'm but I'm asking the question. And it was refreshing to me, actually, in, um, I don't know if it was a week or two ago, I asked on the fan page. I didn't do it on Twitter because I knew it would happen on Twitter. But I felt like the fan page was a safe area to ask about it. Do you want to see witnesses in the impeachment um, proceedings, hearings, trial, whatever you want to call it, in the Senate? And even though I know that at the very least 50% of the fan page are Trump supporters, and it might be higher, and I guess we can go margin of error that it's 45%. So I'll set that as a floor, but I'm comfortable in saying at least 50%. But we'll go, I'll go with the floor of 45 because that way we can all operate off a number that we agree with. I think the result on it, do you remember? I, you, I know you don't spend much time on there, but I, I remember I, the poll. I don't remember it was, the results. It was, it was, I think it was 90%. And so the reason why that stood out to me. Oh, is, on the one of the witnesses? On one yeah, of the witnesses. Oh yeah, that one was really high. So and I know Quinnipiac did a poll and 75% of Americans want to see witnesses. And so the reason I point that out is it's refreshing that it was not split along parties. So here I have a group of 7,100 or 7,200 people, whatever it is. And granted, it, most of whom live in the Midwest, most of whom are white males, 20, 30, 40 years old. So, I mean, this is not a, this is not a Gallup poll of an accurate sample size of America. Okay. It, it is perhaps for our audience, but not for America. But we do know that at the least 45%, likely more, did vote for Donald Trump and will be voting for Donald Trump in November of this year. And yet 90% said something that does not match up with the talking point. And I found that to be refreshing, not because it matches up with my worldview, but because people were willing to go, yeah, I'm a Trump guy, but why wouldn't we have witnesses? And I thought that was refreshing. I like that. So the fact that across the country it's 75%, I guess that's about right. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I know I know, I know. know off what we did, that it was 90%. And that was refreshing. And I could have named the people who, by the way, who were going to be in the 10% just based on looking at the page over the years. Um, so that was, that, was, that was refreshing. The reason why I bring that up is we go back to the question of why are we here? And in 2020 it is, how are people so passionately supportive? How and why are people so passionately supportive of someone they know deep down stands there and lies to them? Not about everything, but oftentimes. Because for me, authenticity in a political candidate, in a policy, or in a program is what is of the most importance to me. To me, not to everyone, to me. But I do think, and I've used the the, the candor example. Um, that's what I'm talking about, right? 
Uh, he ran against Blunt. Am I, am, I talking, am I talking about the right person? Jason Kander, right? I think so. Yeah, Jason Kander. Yeah, yeah that's a, that, who ran against Roy Blunt, I think. Yeah, and lost because Claire McCaskill lost to Holly. Uh, and this was in 2016. And I heard him, and I don't recall. I know I've cited it before. I heard him on a podcast. I think it might have been David Axelrod's. And, and Axelrod, or whoever was doing the interview, pointed out that in a state that went huge for Trump, Roy Blunt had a sweat with Kander. Kander being a Democrat, Blunt a Republican. And Kander was asked about that. That even though he lost, that's a pretty impressive mark. And he said, I think because even if people disagreed with my policies, they believed that I stood behind what I was saying. And that matters to people. And I thought that's a great way to sum it up. But we got to go deeper. The why. Why? Why are people so supportive? And I'm, and listen, because for me, it's I kind of am running the gamut, you know, and I don't say the South City thing like I, I love my neighbor. Anytime it comes up, I love my neighborhood. But, I be, you know, going to school where I went to school, I, I cross paths with people who would be in that proverbial 1%. It's nothing I did. It's just where I went to school, high school. And they, for them, they're like, yeah, it's, you know, we know what it is, but it, it, the, the policies benefit us. So you have that portion of the electorate. Now, obviously not a large portion if we're talking about 1%. Then you have people, religious, who are so uh, single-issue-minded. Hi, Mom. That's your mom? That probably is my mom, too, yeah. who's the president of Birthright. Mm-hmm. And you, so you know which issue I'm talking mm-hmm. about. That the Supreme Court justices mean the world to them, and therefore they're willing to go, okay, whatever. So you have that portion of the electorate, oftentimes tying into the evangelical element. Even if they're like, yeah, we know he's not really down with the cause. It doesn't matter. He gets the justices in that we feel because that issue is most important. Okay, so that explains that. You have people who are actually voting against their own economic interests and may not be aware of it. And that's a large portion. And so this article I'm citing, this will all get back, by the way, to the country club thing. Trust me, I know that we're, we're going like we're bypassing the city and taking 270 and 255, but trust me, you're going to see the arch. The people who fancy themselves as progressive, this is, the, this is essentially summarizing the article, and it's a, I'm telling you, it's a great article, but God, is it a motherfucker to get through. It, I, I had to, it's, it's like when I started watching Game of Thrones, I had to re-dig <laughs> deep into getting through the whole thing. And I think some people just go, oh, Tim recommended it, I'll read it. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to keep going. It looks like it's about education. And part of it was. But essentially, it was starting to attempt to answer the question of why Democrats have lost the white working class. And it, I thought, did a wonderful job of at least building a foundation for that discussion. Because in the 40s, in the 50s, and to an extent, the 60s, that's who Democrats voted for. Or that's who the white working class voted for. And it lays it out. And, oh, God, I, I just thought it was brilliant. And maybe other people, that was fucking boring, and you just think it was great, and it wasn't. I don't know. But essentially, what the point is, is back in that time, the members of the party, the leaders of the party, were actually white working class. They were, and not just white, but working class at that time probably were white, but they were working class. They lived in the neighborhoods of their constituents. 
And now, as this gentleman points out, who ran for office and who has, as he called it, I guess, Gangster Pete, you'd be in this category. I don't even know what the hell it's called. Postgraduate degrees, class, you know, whatever it is. I don't have that. Fuck, I'm not even a college graduate. Um, but, but the people in this part of the party love to tell, and, and also, and I think this is an important part of it, which is why I brought up when you laughed, laugh at those who don't see it the way they see it, like you're dumb. But your solution is to imitate us. And what a less endearing way to ask people to follow you than by shitting on them. And so I felt like it was kind of holding up a mirror to this portion of the population in the U.S. right now that goes, how in the fuck is this man as popular with this portion of the population as he is? Well, the answer is not necessarily looking at him, but looking at ourselves, which is why I always hammer home the point, if you want to mock him, okay. But you ought to be able to back it up with some some examples. But secondarily, you are not well served to mock the people who supported him or to just cast them aside as dumb or bigots. I feel like I say this every week on this podcast, but this kind of got into the why. And the why is this. There is a large portion of the population, this working class population, that no longer trusts the Democratic Party. And so while many of us, and I would include myself in it, go, this guy's clearly lying. I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) Is it me? (laughs) You know, and then the people who I talk to, who probably would fall into that same kind of category of, you know, in your case, an MBA, or they have whatever degree, and they went to whatever school, and they make whatever amount of money, they go, yeah, isn't it fucked up? The fuck's wrong with everybody? But we're in our we're in our echo chamber, so we can sit here and we can mock Fox News or mock Infowars or whatever it is. But the premise being, the elites of the party could probably not name one member of the working class they know, unless it's somebody who comes by to clean the office because they're there late at night. Their neighborhoods are not made up of the working class. Their neighborhoods are now made up of people with these degrees who are having these incomes, and so they are disconnected. And so when you stand there as Barack Obama, who I think incredibly highly of, stood there and said the way to success is education, that turns some people off because that's not necessarily it. And also... Part of the deal with that, if you don't have a family who is able to bankroll it for you, which is most of the time the case, now you also are starting out in your professional career with all kinds of debt. And so even if you got there, ah, the other people are still starting on second base or third base. And it's a different game. And so not only are we giving a plan that may not be realistic, but in the, in the meantime doing it from a place of being condescending, and I cite Don Lemon like laughing and doing Trump supporter impressions on CNN the other night. And it's 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 shooting ourselves in the foot. Cuz it's condescending like we know better and you are dumb. Don't you want to be a part of this? And that's not the way to treat people. It's just not the way to treat people, period. And so as this article went on, it helped Again, it didn't explain it, 
but it laid out the uh, it laid out the foundation um, for for what's going on. And it, it's yet college for all is still the drumbeat of the party's leadership. And if anything, the drumbeat is even louder from much of the party's new, highly educated base. It was not only in the eight years of Obama, but also for the intervals. Our party has been out of power in the White House with Kerry, with Gore, with their advisors and economists, and most of all, with the people who listen to NPR and read the New York Times and have college degrees of a caliber and pedigree that most college graduates do not have. So good. It's differentiating just getting a degree, say, at the University of Missouri, which is wonderful, but there are there's a whole nother level. Like in my world growing up, only being exposed to my neighborhood, I'm like, well, St. Louis U High is the creme de la creme. And then all of a sudden I became aware of MICDS and Burroughs. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's a whole nother level. But you don't know it if you don't get a chance to see it. And so for a lot of people, like, yeah, you got a college degree. That's great. Except this guy's got a, a law degree or a medical degree from an Ivy League school. And so, yeah, you got a college degree, but he's really got a college. She really has. And education, education, education. But it's not realistic. And also, by the way, if you don't get it by the time you're 30, then it's kind of like, well, you're fucked. And now, now it's like, well, you're cast aside and you didn't win. And so you have people who are viewed as having a better lot in life, some of it through their own accomplishment, but more often through not from having some advantages. And they're then telling people why they didn't win. And that rubs people the wrong way. And therefore, they would be more apt to listen to somebody who goes and says things that they may or may not know are not true and says things that they may or may think are crass, but they at least feel like they can buy into. So that gets me back to the candor authenticity thing. And so even though you're talking about a, a, a man, the president, who is at the very least wealthy, not looking to, because I, I have no idea how much money he has, he's a billionaire, whatever it is, that yet you still have a large portion of the white working class connecting to him more so than, say, a guy like Pete Buttigieg, who actually isn't a billionaire, because they're like, oh, he's kind of bullshitting me and he's talking about education and things that I'm not necessarily on board with. And it helped, it helped again, like I said, this is, this is not, it's not a fun article to read, but it helped start to explain the why are we here? the how of this whole thing, which I think is one of the most important questions. You have five or six people running for president against a guy with one of the lowest approval ratings running for re-election in history. And I don't think anybody like who's not in a bubble thinks that they're going to really win, at least not betting on it. I mean, it could happen and who knows what happens between now and November. How the fuck's that possible? And at the very least, I would think we would agree that whoever comes out of the democratic process is not going to get his people as fired up as people who are fired up for Donald Trump. That was one of the problems in 2016. But it was also one of the reasons for the Democrats' win in 2008, because people were inspired. People bought in. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. And even though you have somebody standing there, and they'll acknowledge, yeah, he might be saying stuff that's not true, but who cares? I believe he's truly working for us. And that's what matters as opposed to standing up. If you can get education, you know, and in the meantime, we also need to tend to this social issue that you go, what the fuck? Why are we even worried about this? But it always goes back to education, college for all, education, whatever it is. It's like, that's not the issue. How about we talk about my education for my kid kindergarten through sixth grade? Because we're all going to have to deal with that. 
but we might not be going to college. And so the actual American dream now feels out of reach because if the only roadway to the American dream is through college, well, then it's cut off a large portion of the population. And if one side is only talking about education, then that means one side is not reaching a large portion of the population. So we've taken 270 and we've taken 255. Let's head downtown and remember what the whole thing was that got us to this point. Do you actually receive backlash from people when you mention being part of a country club? No, I don't, but I know it's there. And it's a weird way to answer a question because it's not like somebody has emailed me say, fuck you, you're a member of a country club. And the thing I'll go is, oh, yeah, I mean, they're country clubs and then they're country clubs. And now I'm kind of in the, you know, country club that, you know, isn't like St. Louis or Old Warson, you know, um, I just like to play golf. I have zero interest in being like, yes, isn't this wonderful? We'll learn a country club. I don't look at it that way at all. And I also can speak confidently that the people of my country club would feel the same way. But I also know most people go, it doesn't fucking matter. You're in a country club. So then how does this tie into the politics thing? Question number two, when did it become commonplace for successful people to be scorned for being successful? My answer to that is when it felt like the game was rigged. And now people feel like the game is rigged. That's what I think is the reason for that, because I do believe it exists. Look at any time you have a political candidate participating in a debate, they will disown their success as quickly as possible. Even somebody like Mitt Romney, when he was running in 2012, will distance himself from his upbringing. You know, I know people think about this, but my father had to and the reality is you did have an advantage. But you know what? What is that? Like somebody's fault? Just as the same it would be as if somebody had a disadvantage. Let's not even judge. Let's just interact and then make your own decision. And so from that standpoint, that's when it changed. I don't know what the year was. But I know that I've been asked about it before. I think an older person said, it used to be if I was walking down the street with my father and we saw somebody drive by in a really nice car that you'd go, look at that. Someday you can have that if you work hard. And now it's, look at that motherfucker. Who does he think he's impressing? Think about that. That's real. That's a real thing. Now, I don't have here is, you know, Bob Smith telling his story of 1968 with his father and seeing a Rolls Royce. And here's Bob Smith's grandson now in 2020. But think about it. That's what's going on. And why is there resentment? Because people feel like it's now not realistic. And so that is why Jim Hayes joins a gym and is uncomfortable talking about it. Is fucked up as that sounds, but it's real. It's a real thing. And so you're conscious of it. And it's like, you know, I've said it before. One of the worst things to ever happen to me was when my personal services contract was published because it changed the way that not only some of the audience looked at me, but also some of my peers looked at me. And as a po by the way, as opposed to being good for you, because you did take a chance and you did your own station and, you, and, and you're, you're being rewarded for taking the chance and making it work. It was like, fuck, all he does is talk about porn. Why should he get that? And it's like, you know, and, and that, 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 the genie never goes back in the bottle. And as opposed to what I would say to people, it's like, okay, we know this is a shitty business, but look, you know, it can't happen. So 
you know, it can't happen. But that is what I believe it's about. There is a large portion of the population who believes, yeah, by definition, they're in the game, but they have no shot at winning. And so when they see somebody they perceive who has won, they're pissed off. Not everybody, by any means. But that is running parallel, I believe, to the success with the white working class. But I don't even want to say, with, with, with the portion of the country, because this article specifies white working class. I, I just think, because I, I think it's beyond white working class, with a portion of the country who buys into Donald Trump. Not necessarily because they're like, no, he's telling the truth. Although certainly there is a portion of that population that goes, oh, yes, he's telling the truth. But I mean, it's it's not a large portion. But it's like, yeah, I know. But abortion. Yeah, I know. But my family's worth this much money. Or yeah, I know. But, you know, I feel like when he's talking, he's not worried about getting judged for being politically correct. He's going to say what he thinks. And that combination leads to it, which from my standpoint is why that article, I thought about, I'm like, you're got, you are exactly right. Barack Obama inspired millions of people. I can't imagine any of the current candidates even come close to 50% of what went on in, in November of 2008. Donald Trump inspired millions of people. And I think many of them will be back in November of 2020. But when it comes to the Democratic Party and a portion of the party and why that portion of the party is going, what in the world is going on? Look in the mirror. Your message might actually be right. But the people don't believe you. And that, that's the issue. And they don't believe you because they don't see you. So the whole thing was Hillary Clinton didn't visit us in Wisconsin or in Michigan or wherever. Ohio, I'm sure she was in Ohio. But all these places where she missed out on. Because they took it for granted. And then they changed. But it, it's beyond campaigning. You're not a part of it anymore. You're talking down to us. And that rubs people the wrong way. I don't care who you are. It, it rubs people the wrong way. I, that's, I, I was telling my wife this. God, when was it? It had to be within the last couple of weeks. And I said, God, there are some things I'll listen to. And it's not just like behavior. It, I'll listen to. And I'll be like, God, I just said some things that were just shitty. Just not cool. You know, I'm talking about like in 2004, 5, 6. And I'm not talking about like racial shit because I know where I am on that. And I've been that way my whole life. So there's not any like that type of stuff. I'm talking about just like... Shit that was just like kind of mean, and it, you know, just like. But for some people, like the shit that like I'm, I'm like making fun of is like a huge deal to them. And I'm like, what an asshole! Like, fuck me. And I think there's some of that going on right now with the Democratic Party or with people on the left. Like, how about these fucking hayseeds? And well, you don't win people over by telling them that they're not smart. 
And so for me, it all t- it all ties together with the, do you actually receive backlash from people when you mention being part of a country club? I actually don't mention it. I hate that it's been mentioned. I think Jay jokingly brought it up and I'm like, oh shit, now it's like my shoulder. Now it's out there. I didn't want to talk about it because I knew the situation. And I also know the situation as Pete does. It's not like I'm a member of Old Warson. But you know what? I'll tell you this. In my mind, I'd still want to be a member of Old Warson. I don't know how realistic it is. A, I don't know if they'll have me, and B, I don't know if I can, but I would love to. Why? Because it'd be a great fucking goal. It's a great place. I know a lot of people there, and they're good people. But I also know what reality is and the perception, and perception becomes reality, and I think it's unfortunate. And then... When did it become commonplace for successful people to be scorned for being successful? I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know if, who, who, who is to determine what is successful because I assure you for every person making whatever they go, well, this person, it's like, I remember sitting with, we, Rick Majerus invited us to go to lunch one time and, uh, the, the TMA group and we're sitting there and we're going, oh yeah. yeah Cause he lived at the chase and, uh, I go, well, you know, you ever see La Russa? He lives at the chase. He goes, oh, well, La Russa has real money. I mean, he lives in a, you know, much nicer part of the chase. And for us, we're all going, well, you're both making a million plus a year because we're like a million plus a year. Is the, but yeah, Tony's making whatever the hell he was making and Rick was making what he was making. And I guess Tony was probably making four or five times as much as Rick. And so I, yeah, there's, there is a difference. Because if I'm making four or five times as much as somebody, you know, for somebody who's making 10 million, they'll be like, there's really no difference. But for the person who's down there at the bottom and I'm making four or five times as much as them, it's a big deal. But yes, aspiration and not hating on it. But if you feel like there's no ability for upward mobility, then yeah, you're going to resent it. And I see that going on. And I think it's a big part of what's going on. And honestly, I don't know if the people running for president get that. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just not saying that I think that they do because I don't necessarily feel like it's being talked about. And you do hear a lot about education. And education is not this automatic ticket into the end zone. There's a part of the article actually that says one thing that people don't talk about is a college degree is only here. It is left. Uh, In other words, a college education is valuable to the extent other people are not getting one. But of course we're not supposed to think about such a thing. In other words, if everyone did get a college degree, then the fact that a portion of the population has one and then a portion of the population doesn't no longer exists. And now we're on an equal playing field. So this message of we all want everyone to get a college degree is actually probably not true. It's just a bullshit thing. Wait, it just kind of jerk you off. And people know that it doesn't resonate because it's not authentic. So who would have thought the question about being a member of the country club and the cat being a member of Lifetime Fitness would lead to this, but that's where it led us. I'll wrap it up there. Uh, Your feedback is always welcome. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. Questions from the audience on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.